The Your Safe Space podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land. This podcast acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Your Safe Space, the podcast. I'm your host, Adele Marie, and this podcast is here for you. It is a safe space for us to catch up each week to discuss anything and everything. And on today's show, we have another guest interview. We are joined by Amy Lenardi. Amy is a buyer and vendor advocate, and she's also a qualified property investment advisor, and she has her very own podcast called The First Home Guidebook. Today is our second installment of our property series, and I'm so stoked to have Amy on. I followed Amy for many years and so excited to have her on the show today. She is another powerhouse in the property industry who helps people like you and I find or sell their home or investment. She's relatable, knowledgeable, and can help you turn your property dreams into a reality. And I'm so thrilled she's joining us. So let's get her on. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hello. That is such a lovely introduction. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you for coming on and joining me. Of course. It's a pleasure. I'm honored to have you here. Now, Amy, do you want to give us a quick intro? I did give you a little wrap, but give us a little intro because I feel like you could probably do a better job (laughs) of explaining what you do compared to me. (laughs) Especially because a lot of people don't know what a buyer's advocate actually does. So I'm sure you've probably heard of like a real estate agent before who sells properties. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of the opposite, but not really. Okay. So what I mean by that is that I help people buy houses, but unlike a sales agent, like I don't have a product to sell. It's more of an advice kind of job. Okay. And about 90% of my work is helping buyers. And then sometimes I've also got vendors who want to sell. So that's someone selling a property and they say, Amy, I just want a little bit of extra help. I don't know which agent to choose. I don't know how to talk to them. And then I help them do that as well. Yeah. You're the helping hand. I'm the helping hand. Absolutely. Now on our Sunday episodes, I usually get the the guest or myself to give like a highlight, gratitude and struggle. And I invite the community into our Facebook group to share theirs. It's kind of like a little check-in. And so if you're comfortable, would you like to share yours with us today? Yeah, definitely. So my recent gratitude is last weekend for Mother's Day, actually, I went to the most amazing winery and it made me realize that I actually just don't get out doing things enough because I work six days a week and then my Sunday tends to be grocery shopping and cleaning the house and catching up on things. It was the most beautiful day and we went to this winery with all of the family and the kids and there was a lake and ducks and it made me realize that's what's important, like getting out and not just focusing on work and doing those special things and creating the memories and it made me really sit back and say, I need to, I need to focus on this a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I think it. I talk about this a lot on the podcast. It's like you want to enjoy life as well. Like work is so important. Obviously you need to make money (laughs) to live, right? Like things cost money, but I think you want to kind of really make sure that you can not, what is it? Work to live. You want to, no, you want to work to live, not live to work. Exactly. Yeah. I got it right. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of leads me into the, the part, like the struggle part of the question in that I do struggle sometimes to sit back and not let work overtake everything. And it's that fine balance because I'll flip between some days thinking I'm just going to work really, really hard so I can set myself up for the future and not have to work as much in the future versus enjoying time now as well. It's really hard to balance that sometimes. It is a hard balance. And I've noticed, I feel like whenever I've had someone on and they're like, they work for themselves or they're a business owner, your struggle is always really similar because it's like... (laughs) 
navigating and I think yeah. maybe maybe that's a future podcast episode like that line does blur I think when you work for yourself Absolutely. or you own your own business it's really hard to differentiate that even in your brain just to like be able to switch off yeah and well, you take don't a, you off. don't switch off no <laughs> you don't leave at five o'clock I used to work for the government yeah many 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 years ago and at five o'clock I would just turn my computer off and go home yeah and, and leave it have there. to check emails at home I wouldn't have to do anything on weekends and there's there's pros and cons working for someone else and working, you know, a nine to five job and working for yourself. And, you know, neither is necessarily going to be right for everyone, Yeah. but it is hard to, to switch off and set boundaries. And especially when you've got clients that you want to make sure you are doing everything you can to help them. I'm never going to say to someone, oh, sorry, I can't negotiate on that property for you because it's a Sunday morning. Yeah. Like I'm going to do whatever I can to get an outcome for them and make them feel supported. Yeah. So I think your job would make it hard too. But I guess that could kind of lead us into the next question, which what is your favorite type of self-care activity? Because this podcast is all about looking after yourself and yeah, like nurturing that relationship with yourself. So it can be anything. It's actually exercise. Yeah. Specifically, like not running or I just, I can't run. (laughs) No, me either. I'm not a runner. (laughs) But specifically yoga or weightlifting, which are very different things, but I enjoy them both so much. And it's, I feel like it's one of the only times where I can genuinely switch off and I just don't think about work. I don't think about the billion things I have to do on my life admin list. Yeah, all the errands. It's an hour or so of just, it's it's kind of relaxing. Even if you're weightlifting, it's kind of relaxing because yeah. you're focused on something else. Yeah, I love the weightlifting. So yeah. woman after my own heart. I love the gym. <laughs> that like hour in the gym is just like my oh, self-care yeah, time as well. Yeah. And I'm not the kind of person to work out at home. And like once I get to the yes. yoga studio or once I get to the gym, it's the space that you're in as well that's really important. It's not just the exercise, it's yeah. the environment too. Yeah, taking yeah. you out of your everyday. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> now, we are going to get into the show and you did kind of touch on this a little bit, but I would love for you to explain what is a buyer's advocate and what is a vendor advocate because I know you've got both of them on your Instagram bio. Yeah. And if you could just explain that a little bit more to the audience because I feel like when we got the questions, maybe some people thought that you were a broker or (laughs) playing a different part in the puzzle. Yes, absolutely. So when it comes to uh, helping people buy a property, I've got a couple of different levels of service, but it's essentially starting at the very beginning and saying, okay, well, what are you what are you trying to achieve? What does your property goals look like? What does your strategy look like? And then what's your property brief? In other words, where are we looking? What's your budget? Is that actually achievable? Because sometimes those two things uh, are quite different. Yep. <laughs> Making sure it's realistic because I'm never going to charge anyone a dollar if I can't help them. You know, I need to make sure that I can help them. And then from there, it's finding the properties and that is looking for properties that are on the internet, but also off market, which we'll talk about a little bit more soon. Yeah. It's kind of like a whole secret market of properties. And then doing all the fun stuff like the research and the inspecting and the appraising and the negotiating and bidding. So I'm doing that whole process for That's them a lot. and supporting them yeah. through the process too, because I want them to feel empowered and like they've learned something at the very end and they've been involved in the decision making, but I'm guiding them. Sometimes people buy really quickly and sometimes it takes a little while and that's totally fine. And then with the vendor advocacy, so if someone's selling a property and they just need a bit of extra help, because like I don't know which agent to talk to or I've had a bad experience with an agent and I had a client recently, she was an older woman and she had 
previously been taken advantage of by an agent. Some agents are, well, most agents are amazing. Yeah. Most of them are amazing. And then there's the bad eggs, like any any industry, industry right? Yeah. <laughs> and she just felt really scarred by that. So I helped her. I got this lovely agent and, you know, we got a good outcome for her. And for her, it was just taking that stress out of the process. So that's my job. I'm like a property expert and a bit of a psychiatrist counselor yeah. at the same time. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. And for those listening, I don't know if I've ever shared on this podcast, but even when I bought my property, I did use a buyer's advocate. It wasn't Amy. Big big regret (laughs) that it wasn't Amy. But I went through that with like, I I paid someone to help me through that process because Mm -hmm. I was already quite stressed and I felt like I was out of my depth. And I always think like, trust a professional to like help you. And if you are able or in that position to do that, like why, why wouldn't you? Cause it did for me, obviously I didn't work with you. I did still get some value out of it and Mm -hmm. I did find it helped the process. Do you prefer helping people buy their homes or sell their homes? Probably buy more yeah. because I've got a little bit more control when I'm helping them sell. I'm then engaging a real estate agent as well. Okay. And I've just got less like direct influence on all of that. Like the agent's still got to be there. Whereas when I'm helping them buy, it's just me and I'm working through with them from the very, very beginning yeah, all the way through to the end. Yeah, and it's a really fulfilling, oh, it's such a fulfilling process. But coming back to the reason why you used an advocate as well, when it comes to property, you don't know what you don't know. And how would you know these things? Yes. How would you know how to they buy a house? They don't teach us this at school. No. They and should. <laughs> your parents, you know, maybe bought a property at some point, but that they probably bought a property when you could read about them in the newspaper. Yes. And <laughs> it's a little bit different now. Yeah. So it's completely fair to feel overwhelmed by it all like where do I start how do I do this what if I make a mistake because property mistakes can be really expensive it's not like buying a car and then you find out it has an issue like yes that's a that would be a horrible situation but it's not going to be nearly as expensive as a mistake with property yeah absolutely are you having to tell us a story about a time when you help someone buy a property off market because I think off-market sales and I always see them on your Instagram you'll have like the little off-market yeah. sign and like these are some like decent beautiful properties and yeah. so can you share the magic well to begin with I'll explain what off-market yeah. is because some people are like what what does that actually mean and off-market is essentially any property which isn't on the internet so in Australia we've got realestate.com.au and domain and that's where you find pretty much all of the online properties but there's this whole secret underworld like the dark web of properties which aren't on the internet but you can still buy and the only way yeah I know and the only way and when I say a lot like I'm talking thousands so wow yes I would add about a hundred a week onto our spreadsheet okay and these are just like areas that we purchase in that's not like all of Victoria all all of Australia yeah and sorry just a quick question do you service like all of Australia I just do Melbourne. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just do Melbourne, like the okay. inner parts of Melbourne. Yep. So there's this whole like underbelly world of off markets and sometimes so they many. can be, yeah, sometimes they can be great in that they are well-priced and the vendors are motivated, but sometimes they can be a bit of a waste of time because maybe they're off market because that vendor wants too much money Okay. or they're just yeah. not, you know, in the right headspace to sell. And that can be frustrating, but the whole point of getting access to them is just to give them more choice. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I buy around a third of my clients' properties off market. That's quite wow, a lot. That's quite a bit. Yeah. High yeah. percentage. Yes. And late last year, sorry, I bought for this client. She was lovely. She was a nurse and she'd been looking herself a little bit and realized she wanted a bit more help. And we went through the process and we actually bid on this property online and she really loved it. But we ended up being the underbidder, which means okay. we were the second highest bidder. She was really disappointed. And we kept looking, we kept looking. And a couple of weeks later, I actually found her an off-market property in the same block. Oh my gosh. It was almost the same property, but it was actually better because it had a bigger yard and she had a little dog. Yeah. And we ended up buying that off-market for slightly less than what the other one sold for. And I just thought that was such a great story because it just goes to show that it gives you all of this extra choice and you don't know what's out there and sometimes you can get really lucky. Yeah. I love that because it just shows that like when it didn't go to plan the first time, it actually worked out better Yeah, for you yeah. both the second time but, around. But then I had another situation not long ago at, where we, we did find something off market and it was the dream house for this client. I was so excited for her and we got to the point where we negotiated like an offer, but they didn't have a contract yet. So we couldn't sign it up. And then at the last minute, the vendor changed their mind and they decided they didn't want to sell. So they can be really great, but then you can have situations like that as well. Yeah. That was really heartbreaking. And I think another like element there is like, it is a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. The property process. So much. (laughs) So many ups and downs. And I think no one really does prepare you for that, but having someone like yourself kind of guide you through that and- almost hold your hand through it makes navigating it a little bit easier. Yeah. Even if it's just sometimes to validate your own decisions. Sometimes I say to people, oh, um, I don't really agree with your strategy for these reasons and these are the pros and cons. And sometimes I'll change their mind. But other times I'll say, no, you're actually on the right track or this property is great. And they just have a lot of self-doubt or they just need that extra person to say, no, this is the right option. This is the right thing that you're doing. And these are the reasons why. And it helps them make that final decision. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you just like give them that confidence. Yeah. I would love to know, and the audience would love to know, so all these questions were submitted by them, but what would be your best piece of advice to someone who knows they want to buy a property, but has no idea where to start? Okay. Well, first of all, realize that you're not alone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that there's so many people like that. And there's kind of two parts here and I will break it down into firstly, it's educating and empowering yourself through getting as much information as possible. So listening to podcasts and, you know, speaking to friends and family who have bought properties and just starting to like understand the lingo and what it all means and absorb other people's ideas and advice, but obviously take it with a grain of salt because you know you the best. So first of all, just getting involved in the property world, but then also Speaking to a mortgage broker at the very beginning and some people say, oh, I don't want to speak to a broker yet because I haven't saved anything or I don't know what I want to do as yet. But a broker will be able to help you figure out what's achievable and then put you on a plan to get there, like a personal trainer. Yes. And I remember when I first started going to the gym, I would get in there and I'd just walk around and I'd walk on the treadmill for five minutes and I'd, I don't know, pick up a dumbbell. And and then I got a trainer and they said, no, what do you want to achieve? And then this is how we're going to get there and put a program in place. And then you've got a bit of structure and you've got a plan. And that's what a broker can help you do. So if you have a really vague goal, like I want to save for a property, that's so much different to, okay, I want to save for a property. This is how much I know I can spend. Therefore, this is how much I need to save for a deposit. 
Therefore, this is how much I need to save per week. Yeah. Something like that. It's more structured. Breaks it down. Yeah. And do you work in with the broker? With yeah. the brokers? Yeah. Yeah. So usually I will start working with a client once they've done all of that sort of pre-planning yeah. phase and they come to me more towards the end when they've either got their finance or getting close to getting their finance. Yeah. But then I'll always be speaking to the broker about, okay, what are the risks involved with this client? What are the timeframes, et cetera? And then throughout the purchase process, I'm touching base with that broker quite often as well. Yeah. So it's all just like a puzzle coming together. Absolutely. We covered this in the episode with Morgan. So Morgan was the broker that we had on last week. Go back and listen to that if you guys need to. We did cover her saving tips and I would love to know your saving tips because I feel like we all will have our own tips. Mm. And yeah, I would love to hear what yours are and the community would love to hear too. Yeah. So when it comes to affordability with property, kind of have to break it down into a few things, three main things in my opinion. So there is how much you can spend on a loan and that's going to depend on your income and expenses, et cetera. There's committing to a mortgage down the track. And that means that you need to understand how much it's going to cost you and make sure that's all achievable. So those two things, but what a big hurdle is for a lot of home buyers is that saving for a deposit part yeah and getting ahead there but what I'll why I mentioned those other two things as well is that you don't want to compromise your lifestyle so much like you if you really want to do something you really want to save for something maybe you can really cut back or you can get a second job or a third job to save that amount but then you don't want to be committing to a mortgage later on where you still have to be sacrificing a lot or having to work three jobs to sustain that mortgage. Yeah. So just under, just make sure you break those parts of the process up in your mind. But if you say, okay, well, I know how much I can afford on that mortgage and that's okay, but this deposit, I want to get into a property in the next two years. I want to get ahead and have a, like a turbocharged savings thing. Mm-hmm. You create that plan. Like I said earlier, you break it down. And then from there, you can say, okay, well, how can I make this happen faster? And what am I willing to sacrifice or change? And the key thing, like Morgan said, is avoiding debt. Because if you're going into debt, you're spending money that you don't necessarily have. And then you should focus on that first. And then from there, it's really either how can you earn a little bit more or spend a little bit less or a combination of Of both. both. And there's no magic solution there. But I remember when I was... 20, I decided that I wanted to go on exchange for a year to Europe. And within six months, I had to save $30,000. And I just, I don't, I could not do that again now, but I moved back home. I worked three jobs. Like I was working full time, earning 60 grand a year. And then I also worked weekends and then at a bar on nights as well. And because it was a short term thing, you could stick to it. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. But there is no way that I could have done that. And then if someone said to me, you've got to keep doing that after you've achieved that, or like once you've bought a property, you've got to keep doing that. There is no way I could have done that. Yeah. Sometimes if you've got that short-term plan, you can make those compromises if it's a really important thing for you. I was going to say that. I think the short-term definitely, but also the fact that you maybe really wanted to go on the exchange was that driving factor as well. And I think even when I was saving for my property, like- I obviously had a set salary, but the job I was doing was commission-based. So if I hit my targets, I would get paid more commission based on like how many sales I got. And you bet I was working so hard. I was working really late nights. I was working Saturdays because I was like, if I sign all these sales up or if I make all these deals, like I'll get paid X amount and that would get me there quicker. And so 
that was for me the way that I could do it. But I think, yeah, maybe something like another job or like maybe it's cutting down on the Uber Eats or maybe it's cutting down on all the subscriptions. Like, yes. do we really need Netflix, Stan, one of the other ones? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but there could be some areas where you can work on both sides of that. And it sounds small in the scheme of things, but, but it all it, adds up. But it all does add up. And I've even got a couple of friends who did things like driving Ubers on the weekend and a friend was doing Uber deliveries. Yep. So not no passengers or anything, but just delivering stuff and making an extra couple hundred dollars a week. Yeah. And all of that over time, it, it did up. add up. But again, it's about the sustainability too. So knowing that if you're trying to achieve a goal within a short period of time, then you feel better about it than knowing that that's going to be forever. So all the more reason why, like work hard, save for that deposit, but then going forward, make sure that the mortgage you're committing to is manageable and that after you pay the mortgage every month, you've still got money then left over to live, to live, but not only live, but then to save as well, to then for save things. for other things in the future or to save extra money into your offset account to, or pay down that mortgage or whatever it is. You don't want to be living paycheck to paycheck once you own a house. It's, that's a really scary position to put yourself in. Yeah. And I think that's an important part of the conversation where sometimes it's like, well, just because you can borrow X amount, mm. do you really need to? That's right. Is that? always the best outcome and yeah. it's most often probably not exactly and planning for the future to like factoring holidays or if yeah. you want to have a family and you want to take time off work you know six months or a year or longer how does that play into things you've still got to pay that mortgage every single month yeah. so planning ahead is really important yeah, absolutely. I love that so much. Now, we also had a lot of questions about people wanting to know your tips and tricks. So they would love to know what you look for in a property that classifies it as a good buy. Yeah. <laughs> such a broad question, I, I know. know. <laughs> it's such a – so many people say, what makes a good property? What makes a good buy? Do you get asked that a lot? I do. I do. <laughs> and or what makes a good investment property or where yeah. should I invest? And the key thing here is a good property – is a property that is one that fits within your own strategy. Yep. So the strategy comes first and then the property fits into that, not the other way around. And your strategy is essentially your why. Why do you want to buy a property? Your when, when are you going to buy it and how long are you going to live there for? What it actually is and then how are you going to buy it? So it's those four things. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the strategy because I feel like strategy is such a vague word. Yeah. Uh, and then once you've figured out all of that, then a good property is one that ticks all of those boxes. And then if you can get it for like a bit of a bargain or under market value or whatever, that's a bonus, but it's not the overarching goal. Because if I said to you, you could have this property, Adele, and it's really cheap, it's a really good buy, but you don't want to live there or it's not meeting your investment strategy. What's the point in yeah. that? It's like buying something just because it's on sale but you don't need it or you don't want it. Yeah, it's true because it's like, it's almost like how long is a piece of string? It's like that question is so personal. Well, here's a question for you. I want to go on a holiday next month. Where should I go that's a good holiday? Oh, you gosh. tell me. <laughs> well, it depends. Exactly. Depends on what you like. Exactly. Yeah, it depends, depends on, on what you want to do, your budget. <laughs> like there's so many yeah. variables there. So it's, it's the same exact with property. Same. Yeah. And would you help someone with that strategy? Yes, absolutely. So the key thing before you do anything though, is figuring out your why. Yeah. And the, your why will guide your strategy and that's on you. You can't have anyone tell you what your why is yes. and don't feel 
the external pressure and your why has to come from you. And external pressure could be things like you see everyone else buying properties or you think that it's the right thing to do because everyone says you have to buy a property to set yourself up for the future. And it's not necessarily the case, especially when you're quite young. It doesn't always have to be the next step. So your why has to come from internally. Do you want to buy a house because you really value the idea of housing security? And that's a really important value to you. And you want to know that you can stay in that property for a long time and build a community there, build a family there. That's a great reason to buy a property. Not just because your parents are telling you you should or the media is making you feel like there's no hope and that's why you have to get in sooner rather than later. Those are not good reasons. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because I think it's so important. And I go on about like knowing your why in other areas of your life, but it's just so true about how that really can guide you and keep you on like the path that like feels good for you. And I always talk about it on this podcast, like live a life that feels good for you, not like the life that everyone else wants you to live or that you think would look good to Mm. everybody else. I bought my first property because, and it was investment property, but I was working in the property industry and all of my colleagues had properties and I thought it would make me more credible. And looking back on it, I think that is, those are not good reasons. I don't have regrets, <laughs> Yeah, but my why wasn't coming from an internal place. And I think when you have a good why, it makes your decision more peaceful as it well. Because I think buying a property is always stressful and can be really scary. But if you have that solid why, then that can also just give you that peace of mind in the back there. It definitely does. And it means when you get to the point where you have to make the challenging decisions later on. So you found a property and you're putting an offer in or you're going to auction. If your why is solid, you'll have less doubt at that point in time, because that's when emotions start to override rational thinking. And if you can come back to your why and understand why you're doing it and you're buying it at the right time for you, that will help you so yeah. much when you make those decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, we also have some rapid fire questions. These are ones I've picked out and ones I love. How early should someone start saving for a home? I'm only 18 and I'm already stressing about it. Now, we do have young listeners of your safe space. I'm going to say it's mostly young women, probably like late teens to like mid 20s ish. And so I feel like a lot of them could relate to that as well. Well, firstly, I'll say, please don't stress about it. (laughs) It shouldn't be something that you you stress over. And the median age of a first home buyer in Australia is mid thirties. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be the right time for different people at different points in their life. At 18, buying a property was the last thing that I was thinking about. But I think that if you are thinking about it now and you're quite young, take that as a positive And take that as a sign that this is something that is clearly quite important to you. So what you can do instead of stressing about it is say, okay, this is a priority. I'm going to allocate a percentage of my income per month or whatever to put into like a secret savings account called house and not think about it and just let it sit there and let it grow over time. And it means that when the right time is for you, whether you're 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever, all of a sudden you've got this money sitting there that you weren't thinking about and it's going to help you so much in the future so that's probably a better way to think about it and I it's probably one of my minor regrets of when I was younger is if I'd put aside say 20% of my income it really wouldn't have affected my lifestyle that much if I'm honest yeah but then when I was I bought my first property in my mid-20s it would have probably allowed me to buy an even better property 
if I just had that extra money. So I can relate to that because I wasn't very good with my money, especially not at 18. I was not thinking about it at 18. I was thinking about going to Europe and partying and doing whatever else. And so I think it's great that you're thinking about it very similar to you, but I just want to stress that like you have so much time and I feel like if I think back to when I was 18, I was like, oh, I can't wait to be an adult. I can't wait to grow up and almost like I kind of wanted to wish it away. But it's like you actually don't know how much will change and what will happen to you (laughs) in like the coming years and take a deep breath because it's going to be all right. When I was 20, I thought that 26 was old. Same. (laughs) (laughs) I just turned 30 recently and I had a meltdown about it. Amy, okay, I did like so many podcast episodes about it because I was having a little midlife crisis. <laughs> and I've just turned 36. And I'm like, how did that happen? I'm nearly okay? 40. <laughs> You're and... not nearly 40. <laughs> You've got four years still. <laughs> but it's all relative, right? Yeah. It's all relative. And I didn't ever think that buying a property was even going to be possible for me until I was like 23 or 24 and I'd started my own business at the time. And my accountant said to me, hey, why don't you think about buying a house? And I was like, no, that is ridiculous. (laughs) Only rich people buy houses. But she reframed my thinking. And that was really great because she said, no, it's achievable. Start doing this, start doing that, you know, speak to a broker. And it got me on the path. Yeah. And it just planted that seed. So if you want to buy a house at some point in the future, whether it's in two years or 10 years, you can start by doing like what we said earlier and educating yourself and like prioritizing it and starting starting to save a little bit here and there. It, It absolutely adds up over time. Our next question we have from a couple, dual income. Is it better to spend your savings on a home? Or an investment property? Well, I'm going to be really boring here again. Say it depends. (laughs) (laughs) They're totally different strategies. Yeah. They are completely different. If you are buying a home to live in, first and foremost, that just needs to tick all of your requirements. Where do you need to live? Where is your workplace and your friends and your family and how many bedrooms do you need and do you have pets, et cetera, versus an investment property where that is purely just around the numbers. Yeah. And that is about, you know, how much cash flow you can contribute towards that property, how long you want to hold it for, all of those things. And usually they'll look quite different. Not always, but usually. So if you're not sure about all of this, it can be worth getting some extra help like from a financial planner. And again, you might be listening to it this thinking financial planners are only for rich people. That's not the case. No. It sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. (laughs) But you can speak to a financial planner and get some advice and they can then help you weigh up all of your options and say, okay, well, this is what you can do. And then what do you want to do? And then combining that together. from there. Because if you're in a position where maybe you can afford a property, but you can't afford what you want to live in just yet, then it's either a case of saying, okay, well, do I buy an investment or do I just wait? Yeah. Don't buy something for the sake of it because what some people don't realize, if you go and buy that investment property and then you want to buy a home in a few years or so, sometimes you won't be able to do both because you've already got that debt. So you might have to sell that investment property and maybe it hasn't grown yet and you lose money on it or you know, you've paid stamp duty and you don't get that back and then you can put yourself in a worse position. So don't go and buy an investment just because you feel like you have to get into the market. That's great advice. Yeah. Sometimes it is okay just to sit back and wait yeah. and then re-strategize in the future, especially if you think your life is going to change quite a lot in the future. Sometimes I'll work with buyers and 
they're in an industry where they know they're going to have a lot of income growth. And in which case it makes more sense to wait than if you're in an industry where you know how much you're going to earn every year, maybe get a couple of percent increase, but then your strategy is going to look so much different. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because it's just the world we live in now where I think you've got social media, even like traditional media, the news, people freaking everyone out about getting into the market, making it seem like doom and gloom. So it's like refreshing to hear from somebody in the industry that it's like actually okay to do nothing or just wait or hold tight because it's like big expensive decisions. It is and historically over like the last 40 years, yes, the market has gone up over time. But in the short term, it goes up and down and up and down. So don't buy a property because you just think like it's always going to keep going up because first of all, that's not necessarily the case. And secondly, that's just not a reason to then buy something that's not quite right for you in terms of the property itself, the location, or just suiting your own personal timeframes because what's the point? Yeah, what there isn't. Just take a... Take a breath and yeah, sit back a sit bit. Sit back and yeah. wait. Yeah, I but still that. be thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah, just not making any like rash decisions and That's right. dropping like a deposit on something that isn't really what you want. Exactly. Rent vesting. Now, we've never spoken about it on the podcast, but what are your thoughts on it? And can you explain to the audience what rent vesting is? So rent vesting is where you buy a property, so an investment property, but then you continue to either rent or live at home. So it is an option if you have decided from all of those things we've just said, you say, okay, well, I've decided (laughs) that investing is something that I want to do. It's something that's important to me. I'm going to hold this property for a long time. And you've really understood the implications of that. Then once you've made a decision to do it, you buy an investment property and then you just keep living your life and you don't have to then be tied down to living in that property. There's a tenant paying that mortgage, maybe not all of the mortgage, but a portion of it, you have more flexibility to do what you want now, live where you want, move around, whatever. And sometimes that's really appealing, especially if you can't afford the type of house or location you want to live in right now. And, and I, I feel, did that with yeah, my first property. I've, I'm doing that now yeah. because yeah. for me, I knew that I really just wanted to get into the market mm-hmm. and I always purchased that property like with the long-term vision that it would be an investment and maybe one day I could live in it. But for me, I'm just thinking when I come back from Europe, I'll sort out my living situation. That might be renting in the area that I want to rent in or doing whatever else. And so well you're focusing on your shorter term lifestyle priorities. And also you have the opportunity to live at home. Yeah. And that is not available to everyone, but it can really help in terms of savings and not having that financial pressure. But yeah, rent vesting allows you to just focus on your lifestyle a little bit more if that's of value to you. Everyone has different goals and values. Yeah. But my first investment property, it was $400,000 and the rent was quite good. So it actually didn't impact my budget per month that much because at the time I wasn't earning very much. So I couldn't have a property where I was having to contribute like $1,500 a month to because I wouldn't have been able to then do all of the other things that I wanted to achieve. Yeah. So it really is just about making sure that what decisions you make really do suit you. That's right. And suit your lifestyle. And there, by the way, there are, we can't go into it now because there's so much, <laughs> but there are so many extra things you need to consider with investment properties. There's like capital gains tax and then understanding you're not going to get those first home buyer yeah. government benefits, et cetera, and how, how could that impact you in the future? So there's all of these extra layers that you need to familiarize yourself with before you make that decision. 
and you can speak to an accountant. Your broker will be able to help you to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. but just know that it is an investment property. It should be treated as an investment yeah. and taken really seriously. Don't buy a property like around the corner because you know the location <laughs> and you're really familiar with it and you just haven't explored other options. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have one last question. In your opinion, what is better to purchase, an apartment or a house? <laughs> and I this got asked so much. Yeah, it's yeah. a common question. Mm. I'll come back to that holiday analogy if I said to you, <laughs> where's better to go Bali or New Zealand? Yeah. Okay. And you'd be like, oh, well, it depends. Like I'm going to go skiing in Queenstown or do you want to go like get massages? Like there's so many variables there. Uh, So the first thing is to understand why you're buying it. Is it because you want to live in it? And then it, and then what's important to you in the short term, because assuming all else equal, if you buy an apartment or a house and you have the same budget, an apartment's going to get you into a much better location. Versus a house that is much further out. Yeah. So what do you value now? Do you value being closer into everything and more amenity, more lifestyle, closer to work, whatever it is, or space and size? And that needs to come first. And then from there, you can consider extra things like, okay, if I've decided an apartment is the right option for me, then you can focus on, well, how do I get the best apartment that will have some kind of, you know, good resale value in the future and not take me backwards. So that might be making sure that you don't buy in an area where there's thousands of apartments. And if you decide to do that, that's okay, by the way. Yeah. But just understanding in the future, if there's like an oversupply of properties, it can be a little bit harder for you to sell. There's no right or wrong thing. I was going to say that. There's no right or wrong thing. As long as you go into this educated and you understand all of the drawbacks and all of the benefits and you've got your eyes wide open and then you make a decision, then there's no wrong decision. But what you don't want to do is buy something because you think it's the right thing. And then in five years think, I wish I knew that, or I wish I knew this, or I wish someone had told me that beforehand and I wouldn't have done that. That's what you want to avoid. Yeah. There's no right or wrong. That's such a nice way to end the show. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, good. That's, I love that so much. That's going to be my clip that I put <laughs> onto the podcast page. But Amy, please let the audience know where they can find you. Please, guys, go and support Amy. <laughs> so I've actually got a, I've got an online course for yes. first home buyers. Tell us about it. Because I recognize that not everyone can afford to or wants to work with a buyer's agent. And that's totally fine. But the information that I help my clients with, like that needs to be accessible. So I created an online course where you can learn, even if you don't want to buy a property for like years, you can start learning about how to do it. So it's all the way from figuring out your why all the way through to purchasing and bidding, et cetera. So that's called the First Home Guidebook, firsthomeguidebook.com.au. Yeah. And then I've got a podcast that goes with that as well with the same name. Amazing. And your content is incredible. I've been following along for many years and I love what you do for the community. I love what you you. do for people looking to buy their own homes or investments and yeah, just sharing your knowledge. And I'm so grateful that you came on. So thank Thank you you. so much. (laughs) Thanks, Adele. Now guys, thank you so much for listening. If you are not already, please follow us on Instagram, your safe space pod. Follow me at Adele Marie. Join our Facebook community, your safe space podcast community. And if you have haven't, please leave us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. It goes a long way. Please share the podcast when you're listening on your story because word of mouth goes a lot further as well. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.